Church podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. struggle to receive breath um, for a few days and I watched him turn blue as a seven week old kid um, the Friday that uh, we were in the hospital was one of the worst days of my life and you know I'll tell you I've, I've seen suffering I've watched friends that have brain aneurysms die I've watched my wife suffer through a heart condition um, that was eventually healed um, through surgery I've seen loved ones die of cancer. I've suffered through anxiety. Hey, Mike, how you doing? You doing laps? You still doing laps? Well, can you grab a seat for me? It would be less distracting for me. Thanks, man. Um, I've seen, uh, I, I personally was last year uh, checked out for colon cancer because I was bleeding in places you shouldn't bleed as a 27, 28-year-old um, because of anxiety. I've seen that type of suffering, but nothing compared to what I had to endure, my wife and I had to endure, as we witnessed our little one um, struggle. And that Friday, the worst day of my life, I was anxious to get out of the hospital so that I could preach a sermon. I wanted to preach what Bill got to preach last week. Instead, we did testimonies, which I heard was amazing. Um, And uh, I realized there's a problem that I uh, was tied to this ministry in a way that I shouldn't be tied. And so um, through being pulled literally apart and learning to see what really matters over the last couple of weeks, it has been a very intense intense time for my wife and I. My son is doing much better. He's healed, um, which is amazing. Um, But it, it didn't... It, um, it changed me. And rather than doing what I've done in the past, uh, as I've developed, is uh, when pain comes, I just keep running. Like so many of us, something happens and we just got to go back to normal. But the, the reality is when suffering comes in, when trauma happens, um, you shouldn't go back to normal. You shouldn't j- jump back in. You should be changed for the worst or for the better. And I remember um, praying. I remember praying what felt like faint whispers, drowned out by the, the rhythmic haunting sounds of heart rate monitors and breathing machines. To a God that I doubted. That I didn't see. That I was questioning everything in my life, calling and all that. In, a, in an instant, because my life was shattered as I watched a tiny little bundle of love suffer through sickness and God met me in the hospital because I said this God not my son and for an instant I wept not because of my son but because of God's son and I made a decision that I would grieve in a way that was consistent with the God that I knew. That I would pray as someone that can move mountains, that can walk on water, 
that can do greater works than Jesus himself because that's what God said. That I would worship in the midst of lament and suffering. So in an instant, I was changed. And I promised I would never come back to this church unless I was fully myself. That I would no longer preach messages because I think you need to, you, I think I should preach something. I want to preach what I want to preach and what I know God's telling me to preach. And I don't care if we fail anymore. <laughs> I don't care if you don't show up. I'm going to do what God's called us to do. And we're going to take this to the streets. We're going to go after the people that would never step foot in an auditorium or a church because we belong to the only organization that exists for its non-members. We belong to an organization that says, if you want to be great, die. If you want to be great, serve. If you want to find your life, lose it. Not some cozy, polite, kind, philosophical conversation that you have over some lattes about Jesus that wants to fulfill your dreams. That's not the Jesus I know. And he doesn't say it's going to be easy. He says the opposite. He says, you're not worthy of him unless you take up a torture device and follow him. Unless you die to everything that is you and follow him. In a cloudy place where you don't know where you're going to end up. And maybe you end up exactly in the center of his will. And his center of his will is death on a cross. That could be God's will for your life. This isn't some prosperity gospel. God doesn't want to give you a Cadillac or fulfill your dreams or give you a white picket fence. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is a God who calls for everything and demands allegiance. And he demands, he invites you to not just become fully yourself in him, but to become fully alive and do exactly what he did. And so the Jesus that I know heals. He heals. And so this morning I'm going to talk about Jesus healing. So if you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 4, verse 18. We'll start there. And I don't even know where it's going to end up now because I didn't plan any of that right now. But like I said, I'm not apologizing anymore for that. So two, two and a half years ago, I was in London preaching at a very big conference called New Wine. And uh, this is a conference that goes over three weeks. And uh, each week they have about 10,000 people that show up to go um, in, outside, of the, outside of London to um, just be refreshed, worship, and hear teaching. And I got to speak five different sermons. Um, and, and I preached to the large crowd in the morning, a crowd of about 3,000, excuse me. It was the second, second um, venue for the young people. And there I was uh, preaching on the kingdom of God. And I was preaching on God, God's activity for his people today. And I talked about healing. I talked about justice. I talked about forgiveness and discipleship and all sorts of stuff. And during this experience of preaching to the crowds, I would always do a ministry call, calling people forward like we do on Sundays where we ask if you want prayer, if you want any, any type of love to come forward and get prayer. And, and it kept building and growing. And what was fascinating about this experience is that it was, um, it was unlike any other experience I've ever had. And here's what happened. Tons and tons. Tons and tons of people were healed. 
I would call people to come forward and God would just show up. Now, um, what would happen? Well, deaf people heard. I watched deaf people get their hearing back. I watched blind people see. I watched crutches being thrown on the ground, people coming out of wheelchairs. Um, now, it was absolutely amazing. It was, it was like stuff you hear about in the third world. And this was happening just outside of London. And I got to see it. I got to witness. Now, during this event, all sorts of things were going on, and it was, it was just fascinating. Um, what was fascinating is that uh, their, their kids were being taught how to pray for people. Second grader goes to his leader and says, God forgives you for your scars. We'll come back to that story at the end. Um, uh, people are getting healed left and right. And my wife and I actually, uh, we were in this crowd. So we would go down to pray. And my experience with preaching was amazing because I got to see all this stuff happen. But when I prayed for people, nothing would happen. In fact, it was ironic because there I was, the first person I prayed for after this great message comes forward and I'm all in myself and I'm going to pray for you. I have a word I think I say. He's like, nope, that's not me. Okay, frustrated by that. I'm like, why don't you hold your hands out, close your eyes and wait He's like this. And I'm just like, uh, say, I say another thing about him being, um, you know, needing some type of financial help. He's like, nope, I'm a doctor. I'm doing really well financially. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, then I just end up saying, okay, you know, find someone else and get prayer. And then he, sure enough, he, he does. And it's amazing. And seriously, for a week straight, I pray for hundreds of people and nothing happens when I pray. I'm just like, the, I, like, I'm watching people next to me, like, throw down crutches. I'm like, I want some of that. <laughs> and my wife and I, that's how we were. We were just like, we want to we experience it ourselves. I don't want to just talk about it. I want to be, have you ever felt like that? Just like, why does it always happen to that guy? You're like, just one, if I was just right there, that would have been me. Maybe, I don't know. This woman came to me the last day and I preached on healing and um, I, uh, I get down and, and there was 3,000 in the crowd and o- over 1,000 people came forward. Talked about physical healing, social healing, emotional healing. It was just uh, the expectation of the community was so great that you could just feel the intensity of the moment and God just shows up. When you're willing to wait for God, he'll show up eventually may not be on your timeline or expectation, but it was the last day and people were excited and they came forward and this woman found me and she says, um, oh, I've been looking for you. I really want you to pray. And this is after a week of not seeing anything happen. It's just completely embarrassed, actually. Um, so I did the call and people come forward. I was like, great, of course, now I have to go pray for people. I was sitting on the side. I didn't want to pray. She comes to me and says, I really think you should pray for me. And she begins to tell me a story of how she was a hairstylist. She grew up um, dreaming of doing hair, uh, hair, cutting hair and, and she started her own business and she um her she got nerve damage in both of her hands and she had been uh disabled for two years she wasn't able to cut hair because her fingers and hands were kind of clenched like that and she said uh she felt like she lost her life and she was she was coming to get prayer for healing and (laughs) i thought this was ironic i'll come back to that story as well i thought this This was ironic because here I am witnessing healing and the power of God move in a very dramatic way. And most of you are saying, oh, that always happens someplace else. Or, you know, it's all we have our different background. Well, I grew up thinking that this stuff was not for today. I did not believe that the spirit activity today was for today. I believe it died out when the apostles died. And that that theology, that view of God fit my experience. Because when I would pray, I didn't believe God was going to show up. 
And I would always end my prayer for sick people when I did pray back then for sick people, if I ever did. Oh, if it's your will, God. Lord, let your will be done. Almost like reassurance for my lack of faith and the fact that God's not going to do anything. Because my, my theology fit my experience. But then I encountered the Holy Spirit. And let me just not even be political for a moment. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was, I was already a believer. I've been a believer most of my life. I was at Vanguard University, a crazy charismatic school. I didn't even know it was charismatic when I went there. I used to debate the spiritual activity, and it was a Pentecostal school. <laughs> Irony, right? So I eventually believe that, the th- that this stuff is for today, um, but my, my experience wasn't met with that. But eventually, I, was in- I encountered the Holy Spirit in London. I've told this story, and eventually that's what led me to plant this church. And, um, but I was filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that I've never... It was electrifying. It was terrifying. It was awesome. It was uh, experiential. You have, to just, you have to taste and see. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, let me describe a Cigaross song to you. And if you've never heard of Cigaross, you're going to be like, uh, if I start to describe it, it's like thematic. It's like, you know, like a drum and like, just and then, you know, like gibberish. And you you guys got it? You saw, sing it with me. You saw, some of you get it because you've experienced it. Just like the kingdom and the Holy Spirit and God. So, the irony is I didn't believe in this stuff, but then eventually I did believe in this stuff. And Jesus um, heals, and I, I've seen God in our church heal addiction, anxiety, people that were on medication, no longer on medication, people that were told by doctors they cannot physically get pregnant, that were doing in vitro procedures, healed, and now have kids. I've seen miracles time and time again. I've got to witness people getting prayer um, th- that I was a part of and stuff happening. And, and I just, I've come to discover that Jesus heals. And um, that the primary ministry of Jesus is one of healing. You know, uh, 20% of Luke's gospel is, uh, are stories about healing. And encounters of Jesus liberating. 20%. Do you find it ironic that the doctor uses one out of five stories to talk about God's healing power in the first century? There are three different words in Luke's gospel for healing. One that has to do with the doctors curing illness. Another that has to do with cured uh, diseases and illness. And then the third word is sozo. And it's the same word for salvation or saves. Healing and saves go hand in hand. Because the Jewish perspective of salvation is far more holistic than what we've made it in our Western context. Jesus does come to save us from ourselves, but not to take us someplace else. To heal and mend the broken world and our lives that we're in. So uh, healing is a significant deal. And I believe that the primary way that God's kingdom manifests its presence is through through healing. So that's been my experience. Let's talk about this. Uh, I just want to say we are all called to participate in the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to participate in the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. Go to Luke chapter 4. You've been there. I haven't. Last week, Bill got to preach the message I was so wanting to preach, but I'm not going to get to preach it. Um, But he says this in Luke's gospel, chapter 4, verse 18. This is the mission statement of Jesus, the Nazareth Manifesto. This is what will frame the entire book of Luke and Acts. If you don't get this, then you won't get the rest of the book. 
So pay attention to what Jesus says about his ministry. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Everyone's looking at him, verse 21. And he said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says that the thing God promised he would do in the Old Testament is fulfilled in my presence. What's the good news? Jesus' presence. The good news of Jesus, the, the effects of it are, are he, he's going to proclaim good news for the poor. Now, check this out. 90% of those living in uh, Jewish Palestine in the first century are poor. 90%. So this news is for everyone. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago about, about the word gospel. He proclaims freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, the oppressed go free, and to announce the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus says, this is Luke's way of describing the kingdom of God. And we know that this is the primary message of Jesus, that God's way of life is at your fingertips. And that's good news because God's in charge. God's in charge. Imagine what it would look like if God was in charge of your life. Those of us that are suffering with broken relationships, what would it look like if God was in charge? If God could empower you to release that addiction and allow that addiction to no longer define yourself or your relationship or or do the damage that it's done. Do you know what I'm talking about? Imagine if God was in charge of your life or society for that matter. We wouldn't need safe families because there would be no need. That's what he's talking about. The thing that God said he would do in the Old Testament, Jesus goes and does. Now, they weren't expecting it to happen the way it happened, okay? So this is why Jesus is crucified, because they don't meet his expectations. They don't see it coming this way. They wanted a political Messiah that would come and bring an army and defeat the enemy of Rome. And they were expecting the cosmos to be changed. If you ask an Orthodox Jew today, why don't they believe in Jesus as the Messiah? They'll say, well, they're suffering in the world. People are starving. There are wars happening because they take an interpretation of the Old Testament that the Jews in the first century took. And here's here's what I'm talking about. And I don't have a a projector for this, but imagine that this is a timeline, the stage. And the Jews, the Jews had a concept of time that there was this time called the present age. And this was the time of Jesus, that the present age was everything that you experienced, the suffering, the pain and all that stuff. And then but they, they, there was promise in the Old Testament that one day God would come and do something called the day of the Lord, where God would come into human history and change this present age into a whole new era and age. And that's called the age to come. And that's when God would be in charge. That's when there would be healing. That's when there would be justice. That's when there would be forgiveness of sins and new life. And it would, it would happen all at once. Once and for all. And so they were expecting that to happen. But what Jesus does is right in the middle of this present age, he comes and brings the age to come to now. And everything that they were expecting begins to happen, but just in a different way. It's as if it's the dead of winter, freezing cold temperatures are are happening. And Jesus brings summer in a heat wave. And people are living in the winter, but he's saying, hey, come live as though it's summer. That's what it means to live in what theologians call the now and not yet reality, that the kingdom has broken in and we experience in pockets of forgiveness and healing and justice all the time. And we're invited to practice this stuff, but we don't feel it fully. So we can pray on our knees in the hospital for our sick loved ones, hoping that God would break in because he wasn't. Are you with me? 
That's some heavy theology in two minutes. That was pretty decent, I think. So that's the now that's the the tension that we live in. So Jesus goes, he preaches this message. People are expecting. And this is what happens. Let's go to chapter four, verse 31. So now Jesus begins his ministry. He proclaims this is what he's going to do. And now he goes on to do his ministry. And the first thing we encounter in verse 31, then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee on on the Sabbath and taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus says in Greek, shut up. Jesus said sternly, come out of him. Then the demons threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. And all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are with authority and power. He gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. So Jesus begins this kingdom ministry and he's immediately opposed by the alternate uh, kingdom. He's opposed by demonic forces. And brothers and sisters, we live in a spiritual world. Everything is spiritual and there are demonic forces. There are powers and principalities of injustice working against the kingdom of God. There are beings working against God himself. We live in a Western society where our worldview does not allow us to believe that. Rationalism, secularism, materialism, self-reliance has disabled us from seeing this reality. Instead, we go about our cozy way thinking that none of that exists. But it does exist. And when Jesus is casting out demons, he's healing. When you hear about families that don't have anywhere to go, they don't have anyone to bring their kids to when they're in need because of addiction, there might be demonic injustice involved there. We don't have to say that everything's a demon, but there are demons at work. We need to open our eyes to that spiritual reality. We need to engage in it. I have seen plenty of demons in my life. I've seen demons cast out here at this church. I've seen demons confront me and know things about me that no one should know except God, especially when it talks about my sin that I haven't confessed. It is funny. It's hilarious. And it's terrifying. We have to be ready to deal with that. So anyways, let's move on. I don't want to spend all my time on the demons. Some of you are like, really? It's not Halloween. Talk to me. Because you see, you, you've seen paranormal activity and you're, you think that that's what they're going to do. No, they're going to distract worship services. They're going to corrupt individual marriages. They're going to come after you with illness. They're going to come after you with lies and fear. They're going to terrify you with anxiety so that you don't actually step out of your comfort zone. They're going to shrink your world down so that you don't do anything for anyone else. That's what demons do. That's how they win. Are you engaged in that battle? Do you have a life worthy of opposition? 30, 38. Jesus left the synagogue and went to a home of Simon. I love this story. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they asked Jesus to help her. Could you imagine the nagging mother-in-law that lived with you? I only know one type of, of mother-in-law that's nagging. She doesn't podcast, so it's totally fine. I could say whatever. I'm just kidding. You guys are like, whoa, whoa, shit, no. Just like they're living in a tiny house. Now, here's what's interesting about this. In Capernaum, in Capernaum, some of you are mother-in-laws and you're so mad you just walked out. That's fine. It's cool. I'm just kidding. You're really leaving. Okay, that's cool. Um, I have to be true to my word. I don't care. Um, Don't leave for that. Uh, Jesus, uh, what's fascinating is uh, I've been to Capernaum. 
And if you go to Israel and tour Galilee in Israel um, or, or Jerusalem, there are sites that have grades like C, B, and AA being the actual spot. And I've been to the actual synagogue where Jesus casted out that demon and the actual house where Peter uh, uh, must have been doing his ministry out of because it is a grade A site that there's a church over it. And it's a fascinating little town. And what you have is a story of ultimate humanity. The mother-in-law sick. And it's, so Jesus does this, verse 39. So he bent over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. The same language that Jesus uses to talk to demons, he uses in this story to rebuke the fever. Apparently, and he doesn't do this every, every, on every occasion, but apparently there are some sicknesses that are caused by demons. I want you to stretch your mind for a moment. The same language that Jesus, Jesus used to rebuke the fever and to cast out demons, he will use to calm a storm. There is a Greek formula for the way, the tense, the approach he has with dealing with these types of things. Do you think that the word of life, the, the word that spoke the world into existence would be recognized by demons and sickness and creation? Yes. And so this is what happens. She gets up and waits on them. At sunset, the people, the people, everyone in this little town brought to Jesus all those who had various kinds of illness. And laying his hands on each of them, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. So Jesus heals this entire city. And here's what's fascinating when we talk about healing. Healing in, um, in contexts that deal with poverty is far more significant than just an illness being relieved. Okay? When you talk about uh, societies that live in poverty, and you talk about physical disability or illness, you're talking about day laborers that work to make food for the day. And when they don't have um, their hands, if they're crippled, to work with, when they're sick and they can't get up their work to work, that means that they actually are unemployed and don't make enough for the day. So when we talk about healing a town full of illness, we're talking about social economical implications. We're talking about the word shalom, wholeness, that this community of sick people that live to make everything they have in one day that can't work are being healed. Why did crowds gather around Jesus? Not because he was some great teacher, because he healed them. It will say crowds gathered around him because he would heal them. Healing isn't just about your sickness. You're taking some cold medication. This is about working for your family. This is about having enough food for, or enough money for rent. The primary ministry of Jesus is one of healing. Not marked by just physical healing, but that's part of it. But social healing as well. Are you with me? There are so many stories that we can talk through. And obviously I'm going to skip some. Um, uh, let's just, I'll tell you this story too. I was at the hospital and this is all fresh, so if you don't want to hear hospital stories, I'm sorry. I'm going to be preaching these for a while because something did happen there. Um, <clears throat> I was getting breakfast one morning, and I had been given the long-term stay tag. And what's significant about a long-term stay tag is, well, all the nurses, doctors, and the people that worked in the cafeteria treated you much differently than if you just had the emergency tag on. For those of you that have stayed a while in a hotel, or a hotel, in a hospital, it feels like a hotel, except it's full of sick people. You sleep on a cot. And you have to pay for your food. And you're waited on by nurses in masks and clothes. And so there we were. 
I was in the cafeteria. I was loading up my, my plate for my wife and I, and we couldn't have visitors because uh, our son was so sick, and he we, literally nobody could come up. So they were they were changing their outfits every time they came in and out of the, the room. Um, but I was down there with my tag, and I was obviously I didn't sleep for two days at that point. And um, the the cafeteria attendant, his name's Ambrosio. He says, "Hey, um, do you need assistance? Assistance? What do you mean?" Uh, he's like, do you need assistance for your stay here? Because I had the tag on it. And I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. He's like, well, there are programs that can help you afford food while you're here. Um, and because it, it gets expensive for, while you stay here. And, and I thought, no, actually, I actually have plenty. I, I, I'm not in need. And I just I asked him, do you see a lot of people that come here that need assistance? And he said, yeah, lots. Um, and then it struck me because the doctor, when we went to the ER, told me, uh, it's okay, you can come back to the ER because our son was doing better. We went to the ER twice. He says, uh, because you have a car, you can come back. Because he deals with people that don't have cars to come back to the ER when they're sick. So I, I asked Ambrosio, do you, like, what, what's it like you know, working here with seeing people sick that don't have enough? And he said, uh, everything changed for me um, 10 years ago before we had the program when a woman who had a, five kids and one of them was dying. And she was here for a long-term stay, and she couldn't afford food. She would send her other four kids under the age of 12 out to beg. And they would come back, collect the money, and share one meal the entire day. Orange County Chalk Hospital. Suffering, illness is far more, far more conflicting and challenging than just the illness itself. It has social implications. Let's read this story, and I'll conclude the best to my ability. Verse 5, chapter 5. We'll talk about discipleship next week. I'm going to be preaching in the next few weeks. Um, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for you, uh, for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Uh, yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their illness. So we have this story of a leper. And like I said, 20% of Luke's gospel is dealing with this. And I just want you to imagine the implications of this particular story. Luke is very intentional. I've shared about this in the Gospel of Mark, but because more than half of you weren't through that with us during that series, I'll re- retell this story of a leper. But leprosy was a horrible condition in the first century. It still is a horrible condition today in underdeveloped parts of the world. Leprosy in the first century was uh, a skin disease um, that had all sorts of implications. One, um, it uh, had a bunch of superstition and fear attached to it and associated it. So the Jewish community felt that if you received leprosy, if you were a victim of leprosy, it was because it was your fault. And it was God's divine punishment for your sin. And with that um, came all sorts of rules because if you were a leper, you were announced to the community unclean. And in Leviticus 13 and 14, there are all sorts of uh, implications of what that uncleanliness looked like and rules that you had to follow. Um, it was actually 
interesting because what you would do is you would immediately be uh, uh, forced outside of the community. So you would live outside the walls of the city. You were no longer able to um, uh, enjoy the fellowship in the temple. You couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't worship God. You were excluded from your family. You were excluded from fellowship around the table. You had to live in isolation. On top of that, in Leviticus, it says that you had to uh, wear rags and grow your hair out and be unkept. You had to literally look and smell disgusting. According to Leviticus, because you were announced unclean and you were at risk of, um, of uh, transferring or infecting other Israelites with your uncleanliness. And so and, and in the, the law, they says that they would go to a temple to a priest, uh, offer sacrifice, and only a priest in a temple could cure you through the power of God of your uncleanliness. And um, so that's kind of the story of what we have. We have a man who's been isolated, a man who's lost his occupation, a man who's lost his family, his name and his reputation. Um, and, and it was considered a death sentence in the first century. Josephus, the Jewish historian, uh, writes that lepers were in no way differing from corpses. Corpses. Rabbinic literature talks about lepers as uh, being uh, the living dead. And to be cured of leprosy was like being raised from the dead. It was that difficult. And so uh, you... You would uh, wear clothes and you would wander into the streets. And if it was one of the, on the occasion of you going to get food or, or going to the temple, you would, uh, you would be forced to announce the very identity that you wore, your uncleanliness, as you walked 50 paces away from everyone else, shouting at the top of your lungs with probably fingerless hands, unclean, unclean, except shouting, unclean, unclean, unclean. So that's the story that we have. Now close your eyes for a minute. I want to just allow us. I, I was an actor, so I love developing characters. I want you to picture this particular leper. For those of you that can do that. Imagine this leper, this man, living year after year in isolation. Alone. Week after week going back to the temple. Week after week yelling at the top of his lungs with his tired, hoarse voice. Coming Covering, something's going on. Just keep your eyes closed. Like I said, there's spiritual warfare out there. Just kidding. Spirit of sound system. Okay, I'll just use this. It's totally fine. So imagine... He's covering his mouth with his fingerless hands um, because leprosy doesn't just take your family, your reputation, your occupation away. It takes your body as well. He announces it unclean, unclean, day after day, week after week, as he avoids the stares of the people judging him as though this condition was his fault, that God did this to him, that unclean was a result of who he was. He had lost his family. He had lost his work. He had lost his little boy. He couldn't hold his wife or kid anymore. Do you see this man? Imagine his desperation that he would be willing to risk being stoned to death for breaking the Mosaic law. He finds a man in Galilee, miles away from the temple, miles away from a priest, a man who isn't a priest. He doesn't announce at the top of his lungs unclean or announce his condition 50 paces away. Instead, he falls to his knees in desperation and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now picture Jesus. Jesus could say the word. 
And it's done. But he doesn't say it. He reaches out his hand and touches the untouchable. He says, I am willing. Be clean. Clean the word that will give him back his life. The word that will give him his work back, his family back, his boy, that he could touch his wife's cheeks, that he could kiss his boy's face. The word that would allow him to worship God in the temple and bring the appropriate sacrifice. The word that would bring wholeness. This is what Jesus does. Do you know this Jesus? When you close your eyes in desperation for God to be something, to God to speak to you, do you hear, I am willing? Do you hear, I love you? Do you hear, you're good enough? Do you hear anything else? If you hear anything else, it's not Jesus. If you're here and you think he's saying you need to do a better job or that you need to fix this part of your life or that if you just worked a little harder, if that's the God you worship, that's not the God of the New Testament. He's a tender God that reaches out his hand when all he has to do is not touch you and just say it, but instead he touches you because rather than speaking it, he shows that it's not your uncleanliness that affects him. It's his holiness that infects you. Jesus heals today. He'll go on. Paralyzed man will not just walk away. You can open your eyes. A paralyzed man will not just walk away in, in healing. He'll walk away with forgiveness of sins. He'll, uh, a woman will touch him that's been bleeding for 12 years. And, and she's been uh, looked at by doctors and nothing can fix her. How, how many of us have conditions and illnesses that have been diagnosed? And we have to live under the identity of those illnesses. And for 12 years she goes spending her life savings to get healed. And she just wants to touch the cloak, the end of his, his cloak, at risk of contaminating him once again. And he feels the power of God re- be released from him. And he says, somebody's touched me. Who touched me? When th- a crowd is touching him. Healed. And he says to her, your faith has sozo you. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has healed you. He'll say to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. I'm going to enjoy table fellowship. Now, to the first century Jew, Zacchaeus was like an Al-Qaeda terrorist. He was a conspirator of Rome. He was a swindler. He was no longer allowed to be in the temple. He was no longer allowed to be considered an Israelite. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Jesus says an affirming word like, I'm going to enjoy fellowship with you, which implied forgiveness and restoration, all sorts of things. And his response is simply, I'm going to give back 50% of my income to the poor, and anyone I cheated four times, I repay them back. And Jesus' response is, salvation has come to your house today. Sometimes it's a touch. Sometimes it's a word. Sometimes it's an affirming affirmation of someone's identity in God that somebody experiences the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you said yes to Jesus, you are all called to the healing ministry of Jesus Christ to to cure sick people. You're called to pray for lepers, to pray for paralyzed, to pray for those that have nowhere else to go other than hospitals and churches. Churches should be a place for the really, really ill people in the world. The garden should be a safe place for addicts, for the corrupt, moral, moral corrupt, for the suffering, for those with chronic illness. This should be a place for them to encounter the living God who heals. But it has been my experience that most of us pray the way I used to pray. Believe what I used to believe. 
and experience a Jesus who's polite and calm and, and quiet. And discipleship for us is about discussing his little book over a cup of coffee or a latte. Not going to the places that need to be touched, healed, mended, repaired, and extended of wholeness. So I want to I commit something to you. Let's pray for healing. Let's become practitioners of grace and forgiveness. Conduits of God's healing power and wholeness. Let's become the kind of community that will stand in faith for those that don't have faith. I was standing, sitting uh, at New Wine, and this woman says, I want my... I feel like my life has been taken from me. I could see the physical disability that she had. She had um, braces on. She says, will you pray for me? And my response after teaching on healing was, I haven't had any luck this whole trip. I think you should have someone else pray for you. And she says, I just need you to pray. With my eyes open, with no faith whatsoever, I simply put my hand on her shoulder and say, Father, heal my sister. And like lightning struck her, she freaked out, taking off her braces, doing things she wasn't able to do for years, running up on stage telling the whole community that God had just healed her instantly. I sat there stunned, looking at my hand. <laughs> Let's go! Like, what's the, woo. <laughs> you, you! That was my only experience that whole trip because God had to show me that it had nothing to do with me. The last person I prayed for, no faith whatsoever because it had nothing to do with that. Second grader tells this leader, God forgives you for your scars. What kind of second grader says that? Right? What we didn't know until the next day is that that leader grew up cutting herself. She hated herself, and she didn't feel her parents' love. She self-mutilated, and she had massive scars up and down her arms that nobody saw because she covered them up in shame. The next morning, as she wept over that word spoken over her by a second grader, God made those scars disappear. As she washed herself with soap like dirt coming off her body, the scars of her past were completely wiped away because Jesus heals Do you believe in this Jesus? Can we stand? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I know that we're we're, we're always hurried to get to the kids and to rush off to our lunches and our appointments. And I don't want to lose this moment. I don't want to lose an opportunity for us to encounter the Jesus that we were just reminded of. And so I'm just going to ask you to stay standing for a moment. Don't go get your kids right now. I know I'm going to piss off all the volunteers, whatever. You know, we're going to go to two services pretty soon, and we're going to not have as much time. And uh, we're going to have to be worried about, you know, getting the next service in and all that stuff. But while we have the chance, let's just take some time. You can play some music. I always like music in the background. I want to preach with music in the back. I was telling our team, they haven't let me do that yet. Uh, I believe 
that there are many people here that need to be touched by Jesus today. That's one of them. (laughs) So, so should we have a go? If you are here and you are sick, come forward. If you are here and you are carrying the baggage of your past, maybe not physical scars, but you live in the identity of something that's been done to you, that you've done to someone else, come forward. If you are here and your emotions erupt in relationships, if you are here and you're carrying the brokenness of a relationship and you need God's restoration, would you just come forward? We're going to stand right in here. Come all the way forward. There's a lot of us. Do you know that there were 251 million prescriptions given out last year for anxiety medication in the United States? There are only 311 million people in the United States. 251, 311. Do the math. There are so many of us here that are living anxious. Under the oppression of fear and terror, we drive in traffic and it it overwhelms us. God wants to heal you of that. I stand as witness, as a witness to the healing power of Jesus in my own life. I used to hate myself. I almost committed suicide in high school. Jesus has restored that self-image. He's given me a God image. He's healed that. I was um, last year treated for serious anxiety. I, I'm not on medication. I no longer suffer with panic attacks. God healed me of anxiety and depression. All I know is this Jesus. And we need to encounter that one. If you just come forward, I know there's more of us. Let's just wait. Close our eyes and wait. We're all going to wait this morning. If you would just hold out your hands. Some of you need spiritual restoration. You've been so far from God. This is the time. There's no better time to respond. Jesus is real. Accept it. Come forward and accept him. Some of you are so lonely that this is the only place you encounter friendship. I want God's going to heal you of loneliness. Let's just stand and wait on the Lord for a little bit. And why do we wait? Because it's not about what we're trying to do. It's about what God's trying to do. And sometimes we just need to give them space. So let's just wait for a few minutes. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.